0: Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Uh, we're going to be looking primarily in uh, Matthew 14 at verses 22 on down to 33 where Peter miraculously walks on water. Uh, but I think to, to really get the full effect of this story, we need to look at what took place before this story. So in the beginning of um, this, this chapter, chapter 14, we find a very sad account. There we see John the Baptist, who is uh, Jesus's cousin. But more than that, he's a faithful follower of Christ. He was the forerunner of Christ. We find his tragic end, and that was um, that he was beheaded. Now, look down with me. It says in verse 13 of this same chapter, when Jesus heard it, When he heard of the account that his friend, his cousin, his disciple was beheaded, what does it say? He departed from there by boat, notice, to a deserted place by himself. Remember that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. He felt like we feel. And I guarantee you Jesus was grieving in this moment and he wants to escape to spend time with his father. But notice what happens right after that. It says in the second half of verse 13, but when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. Jesus, the constant minister, is trying to get alone, but the people wanting to get something from him, wanting to receive a healing, wanting to hear his teaching, they press in after him. And it's the multitudes of people. It's 5,000 men, somewhere around 12,000 people are pressing in after Jesus when he's trying to escape. If you're um, interested in serving in the ministry of any capacity, understand that this will happen. There's going to be times where you need to lay down your need for the need of other people. Jesus is the constant example of that. He's going to spend time with the Father, but he sets that need aside to minister to the people. And notice what happens. This verse reads very differently about Jesus than it would if it was about me. It says, and when Jesus went out and saw a great multitude. Listen, if I went out and saw a great multitude, my reaction would be, (laughs) ha, 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 ha. You gotta be kidding me, right? I'm just trying to escape. I just want some me time right now, right? Look at what it says. And he was moved with anger. Nope. He was moved with annoyance, with frustration. No, that's how it would read if it was me. Rather, it says he was moved with compassion for them and he ministered to them and he healed their sick. It's great opportunity. Jesus doesn't waste any opportunity And so he sees the 12,000 people and he says, you know what, I know what I'm doing today. I'm gonna be healing these people and I'm gonna be teaching these people. But again, Jesus is efficient and he will never waste an opportunity. And so the disciples being 100% men and 0% God, right? At the end of the day, they're tired, they're hangry, they're tangry, right? They're they're upset because they're hungry. And they look at Jesus, listen to the audacity. They say to Jesus, Jesus, you send away the multitudes. Do you ever get so frustrated with God that that's how you talk to Him? It's about time that you serve me now, God, right? That's what they say to Jesus. Can you believe it? And Jesus is so patient, so kind. He says to them, this is great. He says, you feed Him, right? Is that not the best this is the best response ever. Now, there's, there's several reactions to Jesus saying to the disciples, you feed them. 12 guys, 12,000 people, your job to feed them, and we're out in a deserted place, as it just told us. What does Philip do? Philip shows very little faith, if any. Philip says to Jesus, Lord, not even with 200 denarii, That's 200 days wage, some $25,000 in modern currency. Not even with 25 grand could we feed these people. You know, that's how a lot of us respond when Christ asks us to do something. I want you to do this, and we go, Lord, not even for 25 grand would I do that, right? Philip, what does he do? He sees all of the problems. He sees all of the issues. And rather than looking at the solutions standing in front of him, he instead focuses on what? The plethora of problems. The 12,000 mouths to be fed. He says, there's no way. And again, God might call you to something and that that's your response. I've been in ministry now for a very long time. I've been an ordained pastor. I said last service 14 years. I was wrong. I've been married 14 years. I've been ordained for 13. That's what it was. So I've been ordained for 13 years. I've been in ministry technically since I was 17 years old. And I have seen in all the churches that I've served in, the most common area of need in the church is the kids' ministry. Guaranteed. Why? Because there's so much turnover. It's a difficult ministry to serve in. It requires a lot of time. It requires a lot of of attention and a lot of energy. So perhaps... This church has, has made that need known to you. And God began to stir on your heart and he said, I want you to serve in the kids ministry. And this is how you respond, like Philip. You go, Lord, not even for 25 grand would I serve those kids, right? I'm not going down there. There's no way. Lord, I'll get sick more often. I can't afford to be sick. I'm gonna have to come to two services a weekend and there's no way I can come to two, two services. I don't have the energy. I don't have the time. Do you see? That's what Philip did. He saw all of the problems rather than seeing the solution. Well, fortunately, in steps Andrew. Now, if you know the story of Andrew, you know that every time he's seen in the Gospels, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. Well, like always, Andrew brings someone to Christ. And he says, Lord, I heard Philip. Philip, take a seat. My turn. Lord, I know what Philip said, but listen, I have this little boy here and he has five loaves and he has two fish, right? Now, I don't know because we're not told in the Gospels, but I would imagine that because of what uh, Andrew says after that, that there's a little bit of an awkward silence. And if you've had that awkward silence, you know that desire to fill it with words, right? It's at that time that we always say something stupid, right? So here's Andrew, Lord, I have Philip right here. He has five loaves and two fish. And Jesus just looks at him. And Andrew looks back. Uh Uh-uh, but, but, but what are they among so many? That's what Andrew says. And you go, Andrew, you're so close and you blew it, right? What happens? Andrew shows some faith, but then like many of us, he laced that with doubt, right? Well, sure, Lord, you could use me, but how are you going to use me? I'm not gifted like Pastor Ed. I'm not gifted like Pastor Ian as this voice of an angel comes from the microphone. I can't do those things, Right? That, that's just like Andrew. Well, in this story, we have two unsung heroes. Jesus is always the hero, but there's two unsung heroes. The little boy, but listen guys, there's 12,000 people there and only one person had food. What does that mean? Only one kid had a packed lunch. The unsung hero of this story was that little boy's mom. Am I right? Can't you imagine? right? Thank you. Yeah, seriously. Well, we'll encourage the moms in a second, but can't you imagine that little Joseph, he's running out to go see the miracle worker, and his mom grabs him by the scruff of the neck and goes, where do you think you're going, little Joe? He's like, well, I I want to go see the miracle worker. And she goes, yeah, you can go see the miracle worker, but not without this sack lunch. He's like, mom, I'm gonna be the only person with the sack lunch. I don't want it. She goes, I don't care, boy. My son ain't going hungry, right? And she sends him out. Listen, moms, my wife stays at home with the kids, and I know the struggle. Let's get real. I know the struggle. It's not an easy job to be called to, to change diapers all day. That's not glorifying, right? You don't have people in the corner going, change that diaper. Yeah, Woo! Instagramming it. Check this out. No, nope. doesn't happen, right? I, I know that, that they stay home. They make lunches. They wake up early. They, they're always there when the kids get sick. All of these things are not glorifying, are they? But listen, moms, even though you can think all of this is insignificant, all of this is unimportant, if this mom wouldn't have done what her responsibility was to her son, this miracle wouldn't have taken place. It was the small things, the unseen things that God can use in incredibly powerful ways. The mom is the first unsung hero. The second unsung hero in this story is the little boy. Why? Because he gave everything he had to Jesus. You go, yeah, but it wasn't much wasn't much. Well, then it was easier to give. Some of us, again, we look at what we have. We look at the gifts God's given to us. and We go, Lord, this isn't much. Again, I can't, I can't exposit the word like Pastor Ed. Well, hey, side note, who can, right? I mean, come on, don't compare yourself to him. But I I can't teach like Pastor Ed. I can't sing like Pastor Ian. I can't serve like Pastor Matt. I can't do the things that I see other people doing, so I'm not going to give you anything. That's really bad logic. If you look at what you have and you think it's very small— Isn't that easier to give to the Lord? This little boy was willing to give everything he had to God, even though it wasn't much. And Jesus took that little amount and he used it in incredible ways. We know from Corinthians that God loves to do this. He loves to use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. ha Case in point. I love that. I'm like, if I'm ever used, I go, all right, that's proof I'm foolish. Great. He loves to use the weak things of the world, what? To put to shame the things that are mighty. All right, great. Now I know I'm weak, right? If we feel we have very little, go to the Lord and watch him do amazing things through our lives. This little boy comes and does that. Now, this is great. The disciples filled with doubt. Andrew has the most faith and his faith is laced with doubt. So what happens? Jesus says, all right, we'll take these five loaves and these two fish and we'll feed these 12,000 people. Now you guys remember that story, right? Can you imagine practically what happened here? He had five loaves, two fish, and he had 12 guys to distribute those five loaves and two fish. So he breaks them up. There's 10. He has two fish. So now we have 12 items to hand out. Can you imagine what this looked like for the disciples? They have their little baskets that we know that they then later fill up all the leftovers. What did this look like practically? They go, all right, well, here you got. I only have two, two loaves. There you go. Sorry, my basket's empty. And they go, no, it's not. There's still bread in there. Oh. I didn't see those. Here, as my last two loves. Like, no, it's not. You still got more. How is this happening? <laughs> like, how is this multiplying as they're handing it out? We don't know. But you know that these guys are put to shame. People that think that Jesus doesn't have a sense of humor, they don't read the Bible very well, right? Because what happens at the end of this story, isn't it great? He says to the 12 guys, hey, you 12 doubters, why don't you go pick up all the leftovers? After it says that the 12,000 people were full, it says 5,000 guys who are hungry were then full. There's now leftovers. 5,000 hungry dudes, that's a lot of food, right? Add the, the 5,000 women, roughly, and the 2,000 kids, roughly, that's a lot of mouths to feed. And Jesus says, you 12, take your baskets and go fill it up. And each one of them comes back with a full basket. Can you imagine how full— Like, you want to talk about walking back to Jesus with your tails between your legs, right? Like, here's my basket. Sorry, I doubted. Right? Like, how terrible. We see Jesus do this incredible miracle. The disciples witnessed it. Now notice, guys, I love this word. It's used often here. Verse 22, draw your attention to our main text this morning. Immediately, they just saw him do this incredible miracle immediately. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. They just saw it. It, they, They just witnessed one of the greatest miracles that Jesus does. And we'll see their response when they're out in the water. But please notice, it says that Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. These guys obeyed Jesus, and because of their obedience, they were thrust into a storm. That doesn't seem like that makes sense, right? That doesn't feel fair. I I thought prosperity gospel teaches us that if we we obey Jesus, then we get whatever we want, right? He's like a genie. He's there at our every beckoning call. Nope, not according to the gospels. Jesus told them to do something and that propelled them into a storm. You know, every trial that we go through is not necessarily from the enemy. I've found in my life that there's three storms that are common that Jesus sends each one of us through. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to jot it down. Number one, Jesus sends us through storms of correction. Storms of correction. Oftentimes these storms of correction are just the natural byproduct of living in opposition to God. God tells us how to live in his word. When we rebel and reject what he says, there are natural consequences, which is why he told us not to do it in the first place, right? He made us, he knows how we tick, and he says, this is gonna hurt you, this is gonna kill you, so don't do this thing. Like my kids, right, they, they, they like shiny things. And so as the oven turns on, they see the coils get red, they wanna touch that pretty red thing. And what does daddy do? Go for it. No, I'm just kidding, I don't do that, I'm just kidding. I slapped their hands, right? Why? Because I know that if they touch that, they're gonna be in a lot of pain. Well, that's what sin is. It's that red, shiny coil that we're drawn to. And God says, no, don't touch that, you're gonna be in pain. But we look at God sometimes and say, you're just a killjoy. You're telling us what not to do because you don't want us to have any fun. Are you kidding me? If my kid responds, I'd be like, don't get in timeout. How dare you, right? Little punk, right? (laughs) Come on. I don't want you to touch that because I don't want you to get hurt, that's why. That's the reason. So oftentimes we get sent into storms of correction, which are the natural byproduct of the result of living in opposition to God. Not only that, I also find that there are storms of not just correction, but also inspection, storms of inspection. What are those? Well, like Abraham, do you remember that? Abraham is living with his son, who is the the visible fulfillment of God's word, of God's promise to him. Now, what was Abraham falling for? He's falling for the temptation that many parents, many loving and caring parents fall for. And that is to idolize their kids, to find all of their love and satisfaction in their kids. That's what Abraham was falling for. Listen, God loves you. God loves your children, but God does not like rivals. And our kids are wonderful. They're precious. We should love them. We should care for them. But God needs to be on the throne. And so God says to Abraham, I want you to offer up Isaac, your only son with Sarah, to me as a sacrifice. Why? Because that was a storm of inspection. God is testing his faith. And you guys know the end of that story. God provided himself a picture of Jesus as a sacrifice there because he's not in the business of human sacrifice. But it was a test of inspection, a storm of inspection. He often sends us through that to watch how we'll respond. You know, Jesus is watching, but the world's watching as well. I, guys, to be totally transparent, I get really sad. I get bummed out when I'm looking on Facebook or, or Instagram or whatever it would be. And I see people complaining about just silly things. I mean, recently I saw somebody just going off, a Christian woman, going off on how her barista was so stupid because he messed up her coffee. And I go, are you kidding? Like, what does the world think of that? As they see us as Christians treating a barista worse than they would because our coffee is wrong. Like, give me a break. Storms of inspection, what we're made of. As we make it through those storms of inspection, and, and we have joy in our life, we're not upset that the, the coffee was messed up. Like, you say, hey, this is messed up. Can you make me another one? Sorry. Like, That's okay. You're allowed to do that, right, at Starbucks. They're like, sure, I'll make you whatever you want. You can keep that one too. You're like, score. I get to keep the gross coffee. <laughs> right. Awesome. But as we make it through these storms of inspection with joy and with peace in our life, Jesus sees that and the world sees that and he gets all of the glory. The third storm that I see, not only storm of correction, and inspection, but thirdly, the storms of perfection. Jesus is, is uh, like someone working with metal, right? The great refiner. And he sends us through the fire. Why? To purify us. To perfect us, to remove the filth and the dirt in our life, and then to make us look more like Him. Oftentimes, the storms that we find ourselves in are not because the enemy is attacking us, but because we're obeying Christ, just like the disciples are experiencing. Notice verse 23 And when He had sent the multitudes away, He went up on the mountain by Himself to pray. Now, when evening came, He was alone there. Just a quick application. If Jesus felt the need to pray, we should pray too, right? We should also feel the need. There's, there's, there's a group right in this back room over here. They would hate it if they knew that I was talking about them. But the first service is a group of guys. Second service, it's a group of ladies. Do you want to know what they're doing? They're praying through the service. I love that. How incredible is that? That you have a group of people here praying for the service for the Lord to speak specifically to you. We need to prioritize prayer. You go, well, I don't have time to pray. I'm sorry, were you busier than Jesus was? Do you have more to do than heal 12,000 people and teach them? but Jesus, what did he do? He made time to pray. He didn't go with the excuses. He made time to pray. And right here, he gets alone, and that's exactly what he does. Notice verse 24. But the boat that Jesus commanded the disciples to get into was now in the middle of the sea. Listen to Matthew's description. Tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Guys, remember the context. Immediately after seeing Jesus feed the 12,000 people, you would think that the disciples would be men of incredible faith right now, right? They just saw Jesus do this incredible miracle and they knew that Jesus said, get into the boat and meet me on the other side. Do you wanna know what that means? They're gonna make it to the other side. But these six of them at least are fishermen. They are terrified out on the water as the boat is being tossed by the waves. Do you wanna know how they're feeling? They're feeling alone. They're, they're feeling forgotten. They're feeling abandoned. They're forgetting what? They're forgetting all about God's provision. It's amazing to me how, how short-term our memory can be. God can provide abundantly for us, but then the next hour, the next day, the next month, the next year, we can forget all about that provision and we can feel like he has completely and totally abandoned us. Can't you relate to these guys as they're in this boat being tossed? Now it goes on, verse 25, Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Now, understand, I I believe, uh, along with your church, that the Word of God is inerrant and it is inspired by God. But there are times where I just go, Lord, could you have just given us a little bit more detail? Like, what is this? Right? the, the waves are tossing a boat. So these are intense waves. And Matthew just very casually goes, yeah, so, I, you know, fourth watch of the night, Jesus was walking on water. We're like, right. Because we see that all the time, right? I know exactly what that was like. I mean, these waves are intense. How is Jesus walking on water? Is he in a bubble, right? And as he's walking, like the waves are crashing against the bubble and falling off? Or is Jesus having fun, Right in that, right? I mean, like flipping off the waves and landing, like doing a little uh, body surfing, but a little bit better than how we could do it, right? Who knows? But he's walking on the water, and it tells us here again in verse 25, it was the fourth watch of the night. That means it was around 3 a.m. Mark's gospel tells us that these guys were rowing against the waves. We know if it's 3 a.m. for some six to nine hours. They were exhausted. They were hungry. They're very tired as they row. I don't know if you've ever done any rowing, been on a rowing machine or been in a boat and you're rowing. It's exhausting for two minutes, let alone six to nine hours. Now read on. It's interesting. It says in verse 26, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, this is great, they were troubled. Yeah, you think, right? Imagine this, guys. They're out in the middle of the, of the lake it's pitch black. Why? Because it's the middle of the night. I, I love to fish. It's one of my favorite activities. I fish for real fish, bass, not trout. Did I offend anybody in here yet? Okay. Anyways, I would love to learn how to fly fish. But anyways, I, I'm, I, I go out fishing at night all the time. The reason for that is because I live in very hot climates, right? Tucson, in Jacksonville, right? Arizona, in Florida. The best time to fish is at night. Why? Because it's not oppressively hot outside, right? So there I am in the boat. What I know about being out on the, on a lake or in the sea at night is you need a light because you can't see anything. It is pitch black. So that tells me for these guys to see Jesus, there has to be something lighting up the sky. What lights up the sky in the middle of a storm? Lightning, right? Right? So can't you imagine? These guys are exhausted. They're tired because they're not going to bed. They're physically exhausted because they're rowing. And let's just say it's Andrew. He's rowing and there's lightning in the distance and he sees this little figure on the water and he goes, what the? (laughs) No, 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 no. I'm seeing things. That looked like a dude on the water. Like there's no, no, nope, nope, nope. Keep going, guys, keep going. Next lightning strike, that little figure a little closer and he's like, oh gosh, right? Like, can't you imagine? Hits Peter next to me and goes, Peter, are you seeing this? And Peter's like, Am I seeing what? And then it strikes like, whoa, right? And it's like a horror film, like tch, tch, it's there. Then it's closer, it's closer, right? I mean I I don't think that 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 as they're doing this, that they're saying what it says right here, where they go, you know what? I'm troubled. <laughs> Peter, as you as you see this figure getting closer to us, walking on water, it looks like a, a man how do you feel? He goes, I also feel troubled. My my tummy feels slightly unsettled, right? Like it goes on, fortunately, it doesn't just stop there. It gives us the rest of the description. It says, and they were troubled. Fortunately, it tells us saying, it is a ghost. Do you know why they said that? Because they were outside of their minds, right? 3 a.m., working that hard, that tired, seeing that figure walking at them, what would you say, right? Oh, don't worry. It's just Jesus and we see him walking on the water all the time. No, you'd say this. It's a, it's a g- g- ghost, right? And it goes on again there in verse 26 saying, it is a ghost and they cried out for fear. No doubt, right? You and I would have done the exact same thing. Guys, you wanna know what that looks like? They're rowing, they're going, ah! I mean, this figure is getting closer and closer and closer in, in incremental uh, uh, amount of time, right? It's like, boom! And then, boom, and then they're terrified. But notice Jesus's perspective. Verse 27, again, this word, but immediately Jesus spoke to them. Isn't that great? Jesus doesn't let them sit there. Jesus doesn't go, ooh, right? <laughs> immediately, Jesus spoke to them. What does he say? He doesn't it say, you fools. You really think that's a ghost? No. He says, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. How good is that? It's just incredible. They're they're terrified. They think that they're going to die. They think that they're going to get hurt. They think that the ghost is going to abduct them. Whatever they're thinking, they're terrified. But Jesus's perspective is totally different. Why? Because Jesus knows, and they don't. Jesus knows the end of this story. He wrote the book, right? He knows how it ends. He knows that they're going to be fine but they don't know that. And it's the unknown in their life that is causing them to doubt Jesus, to doubt God Almighty, right? And so I, it reminds me of, of me as a dad with my kids. I have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a four-year-old. The, the, the two older ones are little girls, right? And the last one's a little boy. So when my little girls were super little, we're talking like two years old, they both did this. It was so funny. They wanted to jump off of the bed to daddy, right? That's me. So there I am and I'm ready to catch them. And both of them went through the same exact thing. They would, they would get ready, they would squat low, like they're gonna jump the biggest jump you've ever seen in your life, right? I mean, they're, they're squatting down and then they slowly stand and they go, no, 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 right? Why? They were afraid. They are afraid of the unknown. They were afraid that something horrible was gonna happen to their little two, two-year-old self, right? But was I afraid? No, I wasn't afraid. I knew that I would catch them most likely, right? And I knew if I got distracted and they jumped and they felt it, they'd be fine, right? It's not a big deal. They're gonna be okay. Now, if it was my son, I would let him jump. I'd be like, go ahead, jump son. Oh, daddy missed. Uh (laughs) Get back up and do it again. He'd be like, okay. (laughs) Girls would never trust me again. But I had a perspective that they didn't have. I knew worst case scenario, they were still okay. Jesus has the same perspective. As we fret, as we we strain against the, the waves, as we are terrified and we're saying things that are outside of our mind like it's a ghost, God knows. He knows the end. He knows how your trial is gonna end. And he knows something. He knows that it will end in his victory. Even if it ends our life, it still ends in his victory. So what would he say to you right now as you're straining and you're feeling isolated, you're feeling by yourself, you're you're feeling that victim mentality? He would say to you, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid because he knows the end from the beginning, even when we don't. And it's our responsibility to trust him. Speaking of trust, keep on reading. It says, this is great. I love Peter because he always makes me feel better about myself, right? Look at what it says about Peter, verse 28. And Peter answered him, the ghost, you know, what they think is the ghost, Jesus, and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come on the water to you. I'm sorry, if it's me, I go, Lord, if it's you, then shut this storm off, right? But Peter's thinking differently. Peter, filled with faith and tons of boldness, says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And I just crack up at this, because what if, I mean, we know it's not a ghost, but what, what if it's not Jesus, right? And, and this thing has a sense of humor. Like, sure, come to me. And Peter gets out of the boat. Anybody else? Right? Like, I don't, but I, I, I commend, I, I don't commend Peter's logic, but I commend Peter's faith that he'd be willing to take a huge leap of faith if it is in fact Jesus. And read on, see what it says. So verse 29, and he, that's Jesus, said, Come. And notice it, it involved Peter's initiative and Peter's action. When Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Guys, one thing you need to know if you're not in boats often, it's not easy to get out of a boat, especially a big boat like this, right? E- even a shallow bass boat isn't the easiest thing to get out of. But this boat is gonna have a deeper hole. It's gonna be bigger. It's gonna be difficult to get out of. This was an awkward moment at best for Peter, Right? Remember, the, the, the storm is still going on. Peter getting out of this boat, no doubt he would have to like hug the side of the boat as he's climbing over and the boat is probably rocking and hitting him in the face. Like this is not an easy step of faith. And as he's doing it, I imagine the disciples, the other 11, are thinking one of two things. Either they're amazed at Peter, right? Going, I can't believe it. Peter, you have faith that I do not have. I like the boat. Thank you very much. Good on you, Right? I know in my life, we, we left everything, all of our family and friends in Tucson, and we went and we planted a church in Jacksonville, Florida. And people have told me for the past six and a half years, your faith has really inspired me. Often as we take steps of faith, people are amazed. But unfortunately, it could be what I think is far more common and more likely to have happened in this instance. Perhaps the disciples weren't looking at Peter amazed. Perhaps they were looking at him and doing what? Criticizing him. Can't you see that? These disciples that we know of in the Gospels, can't you imagine them criticizing? Peter, what are you doing? You look look ridiculous, Peter. You look like a fool trying to get out of this boat. Like, what what are you gonna do when you get out, Peter? Asking all of the logical questions. Listen, if that's how you are, are you ready for for this application? If, if, If you are constantly criticizing steps of faith, don't be like that anymore. Is that good? Is that deep? Was that eloquent, right? If you're constantly critical of other people, constantly critical of their steps of faith, stop it. Why? Because it just makes that step of faith so much harder. Do you think it's easy to get out of that boat that's being tossed by the wind? Do you think it's easy to step on the sea? No. If we're criticizing, it just makes it more difficult. And if you think, well, I don't think they should be taking that step of faith, then pray for them. Don't criticize them. Encourage them as they're trying to serve the Lord. Now notice again, verse 29. So he, that's Jesus, said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. All it took for Peter was to hear one word from Jesus. What does it take for you to get out of the boat? Does, Does Jesus have to come in and drag you out of the boat to show you that it's gonna be okay? I want to be like Peter, where I'm willing to do whatever Jesus asked me to do and all it takes is one word. All it takes is for me to hear one thing from him and say, okay, Lord, that's good enough for me. I'm not gonna doubt it. I'm gonna now take huge steps of faith because I heard you speak to me. It goes on, verse 30. But when he, that's Peter, saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. A couple of things. One, Peter already knew the wind was boisterous, guys, Right? He's being tossed in the storm for six to nine hours. He already knows. But what's happening to Peter? Peter's looking at his reality and he's letting that sink in, right? What's his reality? His reality is that he's walking on water in the middle of a crazy storm, right? He's doing what Jesus said to do. He's doing the miraculous. But as he starts looking at all of the problems, listen, as he starts feeling the wind on his face, feeling the water crash over him, he starts to doubt. And I know that we struggle with the same thing. We allow our feelings to cause us to doubt God, don't we? There we are doing the miraculous. We're taking steps of faith for him. I don't know what the miraculous might look like for you. Maybe witnessing to your neighbor, maybe teaching the kids ministry, I don't know. But you're doing something that God asked you to do, and it's miraculous, and then you start looking around and go, wait, 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 wait. I can't do this. I don't feel equipped. I don't feel appreciated. I don't feel whatever it might be. Peter felt the wave. Peter felt the wind. And he started looking at all of the problems rather than looking at Jesus. Guys, as Peter looked at Jesus, as Jesus was his focus, he was doing the miraculous. This is the first service of the new year. People are making and breaking New Year's resolutions. Can I give you a New Year's resolution every single year to not break? Look at Jesus before you look at anything else. Look at Jesus and don't, yeah. Look at Jesus and don't focus on your problems. It's amazing what we, how illogical it can be. When I was a youth pastor, a junior high youth pastor, I would tell the kids, God is is like the sun. Like he's this giant, powerful figure. And our problems are like our thumb. If we put our thumb right up to our face, what does it do? it blocks out the sun. It blocks out this hugely powerful entity by something small as a thumb. We do the same thing. We we can look at Jesus and see him in all of his power. We can just witness him feed 12,000 people and then we can doubt him because we feel a certain way. May we not be like Peter, allow our feelings to dictate our doubt. Not only that, but notice it goes on there and it says in verse 30, But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, what did he do? He cried out and he prayed. What does he pray? Lord, save me. I love this. Guys, Peter's prayer, two things to note. Number one, do you catch that? It's not eloquent. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? He he doesn't feel religious in this moment at all. No need to impress the 11 disciples that are in the boat with with his words, right? doesn't sit there and, and try to say something flowery in his speech. Guys, God, if you're eloquent, praise God. Good for you, continue to be that way, I envy you. But if you're, eloquent, if you're not eloquent in your prayer, you don't have to try to impress God. You don't have to try to impress other people. Peter's prayer wasn't eloquent, but you wanna know what it was? It was very sincere, wasn't it? Because he was about to die. He was about to fall. And because it was sincere, it was effective. Um, when I uh, first became a pastor at Calvary Tucson, the responsibility that I was over, the the ministry was new believers ministry. It was great. I loved it. You have these baby Christians come into this ministry and you teach them the basic truth about the Bible and they would grow by leaps and bounds. Well, I would always open up the first group. We'd always had a big group, you know, 30, 40, 50 new believers in the group, and I would ask one of them, I'd just pick one, I'd introduce myself to all of them beforehand, and I would pick one, I'd say, hey, you're gonna open up um, our, our teaching today with a word of prayer. And they would look at you like you're crazy. Like, no, I won't. There's no, I've prayed one time in my life and it was just me and the Lord, there's no way I'm gonna do that. I'm like, no, 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 you're gonna do it and it's gonna be great. The next, the next time uh, we had service, it was always half the amount of people. I don't know why. Anyways. I would ask these guys to pray and it was the best listening to their prayers. They're like, all right, um, so Lord, oh, sorry, right? Like this? I'm like, sure, whatever you want. He's like, okay, okay. So, so God, is that right? I'm like, whatever you want, man. He's like, "All all right, my bad. Dear God. That, I've heard that. Dear God, thank you. I'm like, this is the best. It wasn't eloquent. It was completely and totally sincere. I love to pray with my kids at night before we go to bed. And in my middle daughter, she's, she's not a typical girl. She doesn't like the princess and sparkles and all that. She likes, you know, Avengers and heroes. And yes, right? There we are praying together. And my daughter, totally in sincerity, had the best prayer I've ever heard. She's there and she goes, Lord, thank you so much for Captain America. Amen to that girl. Woo, right? Listen, I didn't rebuke her and go, sweetie, no, no, shh, shh, We don't, don't thank God for Captain America. He's not even real, right? He's real to her. And you wanna know what? She's very thankful for him, right? That was a prayer I think that pleased Jesus. Why? Because it was sincere. It was sincere. Sure, there's ignorance there, but it was sincere in her prayer. God wants sincerity and doesn't demand this flowery prayer. Peter's prayer wasn't eloquent. Number two, Peter knew who to direct his prayer to. Did you catch that? He says, Lord, looks to Jesus, save me. Peter didn't do what many of us might do when we find ourselves in a trial. He didn't look to his own strength. Peter was a man of the sea, guys. We know from another account, he jumped out of the boat and swam to the shore. He knows how to swim, right? He didn't say, okay, I got this. I know what I'm doing. I'm a man of the sea, man. I I, I can tread water with the best of them. He didn't do that. But we can do that. We can say, you know what? I'm, I'm strong. I'm powerful. I'm mighty. I'm gonna get myself out of this problem. Why do you need a savior then, right? Peter also didn't look back to the boat, the thing that was floating, right? the thing that would keep him up, the thing that had kept him up. He didn't look to that. He didn't look to his friends. Peter looked to Jesus before he looked to anybody else and his prayer was immediately answered. But notice this, this kind of catches us off guard. Verse 31, look at what it says. It says, and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, great job, Peter. You're better than the rest. Nope. And said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And if this was, again, my story, I would have said, ye of little faith. What about thee of little faith? Look at those 11 fools in the boat, right? But Peter didn't do that. And Jesus, listen, had every right to rebuke him. Why? Because Peter never had a cause to doubt God, and neither do you, neither do I. Peter just witnessed Jesus feed 12,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Peter was walking on water. That's two miracles in one day. That's pretty good, right? If you're keeping stats, that's pretty good. More than I see normally. And yet he's looking at Jesus, and in the midst of a miracle, Peter doubts Jesus. May we not follow in Peter's footsteps there. May we keep our eyes on the Lord and say, God, you've delivered me in the past, you're going to deliver me now, and you're going to deliver me in the future. I don't know what that deliverance is going to look like, but I know that you are going to do it because I know I am not abandoned by you. We read on, and this is how we conclude verse 32 and 33. Powerful scene. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. I think we read the Bible sometimes. And it's just common stories. And so we just brush over verses like this. Are you kidding me? Imagine that, that, that scene. The boat was being tossed by the waves and Jesus gets in, poof, totally silent. Have you ever been in a thick storm before? Can you imagine? It just stops. it have been very powerful. You would respond how they responded. Look at verse 33. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. This is the first time in the Gospels that the disciples recognize Jesus as the Son of God. What does that tell me? Here's my concluding point. Okay, I didn't hear any praise gods or thank the Lord or amen for that. Okay, my concluding point, listen. Oftentimes, it's the storms of our life that reveal to us who God is, right? These guys, because of their storm, they looked and they saw a new perspective of who Jesus was. And if you've gone through a trial, if you've gone through an intense storm and Jesus has carried you and brought you through, you now know him better, don't you? You've now experienced something with him that is more than just listening to a pastor talk. It's real. It's real in your life. And you want to know what? You are way less likely to ever doubt him again. So could it be that thing that you're praying against this thing that you're complaining about? Could it be that God says, that's the instrument that I've designed to reveal to you who I actually am? I want to encourage you in this new year, may none of us be, have this victim mentality complaining to God. Instead, can we have a servant's mentality submitting to God? Lord, whatever you call me to, even if I don't get it, I know that this isn't easy for some of us to hear because some of us are really going through it. Say, Lord, I don't get why I'm going through this, but I love you no matter what. I, I, I want to doubt, but Lord, I know I have no need to doubt. I submit my will to you and God, here is my life. We sang that song, what did it say? I give you how much of my life? All of my life. Some of us go, Lord, I give you all of my life, except for this area over here. I kind of want to keep this to myself. Lord, I give you all of my life. I love raising my hands in that song. I open up, I go, Lord, I give you all of my life. It's, it's all yours, right? That's what I want our hearts to be. God, there's no area in our life that you do not have authority over and that you cannot come in and touch, change, do whatever you want to it because I trust you and I know that you can reveal yourself through this trial. I hope and pray that we can dismiss this this, um, victim mindset and again become men and women who are servants of Jesus Christ. With that being said, please stand with me. Let's pray and let's worship the Lord one more time before we go. Jesus, we thank you that in you is victory. In you is power. In you is provision. And Lord, we ask that we would be people who serve you with no doubt, who serve you with no complaining, and who serve you with hearts filled with gratitude and hearts that are willing and ready to submit. I know it's easy to say, Lord but I pray that you would give us the faith and the strength to apply it, no matter what we're facing. Jesus, would you help us keep our eyes firmly fixed upon you, the author and finisher of our faith, and not look back to the boat for salvation, not look to ourselves for salvation, not look to our friends for salvation, but look to you. To not allow our feelings to dictate how we behave. To not allow our feelings to dictate how we perceive who you are, but instead to look to you, allow your word to teach us and educate us on who you are. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you do. Thank you for who you are. We love you. We praise you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.